Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of New Philadelphia Nazarene. Thanks for joining us again this week. We're glad you're a part of our Sunday Service Podcast. This, this week we're going to be coming very close to the end of Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at three warnings that he gives towards the end of Matthew chapter 7. Warnings as a follow-on from everything he has taught up until this point. Grab your Bibles, turn in them to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verse 13 through 23 together today with a message called Three Warnings. Give your Bibles, you open up with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at verse, starting with verse 13 today. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, crack it open there and read along with me. You'll also see the scripture on the screen. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It was September of last year that we began working our way through Jesus' teaching uh, from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's been a long journey. (laughs) Some of what we have talked about over the past months has been very challenging. It's been challenging for me, even as I have prepared week after week, and I I hope it's been challenging for you. Some of you have left here on a Sunday morning and asked yourself, how did pastor know that about me? The answer is, I didn't. Or you've asked yourself, why was pastor preaching to me? The answer was, is I wasn't. All that Jesus covers in these chapters from the Gospel of Matthew is so applicable to our lives And it doesn't really matter where you are in life, where you have been, the things that you have done, what Jesus talks about here will speak to where you are today in some way. In some fashion, it will speak to your circumstances. Those Sundays when you thought that that I knew something about you, about your life, about your circumstances, and you walked out of here either worried that I was being told something or that I had some kind of insider information I'm telling you straight up this morning, that's the Holy Spirit stepping on your toes, not me. Quite frankly, you're giving me way too much credit. 
Those Sundays when you left here wondering why I was preaching to you, well, the same thing applies. I was not preaching to you. Many times I was preaching to myself. This truth speaks to how you and I are supposed to live today as citizens of the kingdom of God. So as we come to the close of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in this final chapter, Jesus gives us some final warnings. And these warnings are given in light of everything that he has talked about in the previous chapters. In other words, Jesus has given instruction. It's all the things that we've talked about for the past few months. Things like the life that Jesus calls us to live is not supposed to look anything like the world. We're to be different in our actions and in our words and in our compassion and our mercy. The passion that we have for God is directly tied to the level of satisfaction that we will have from God. The fruit of our lives is always an indicator of our passion and our satisfaction. Or, or that following Jesus obediently, obediently means accepting the reality of persecution. In fact, it means more than accepting it. It means embracing it. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ is meant to produce something in us and, and through us. And when our salvation does not extend beyond our own lives, it loses its meaning. We are saved and we are brought into God's kingdom here and now. Or, or things like, like unrighteous anger and sexual immorality, gossip, a spirit of revenge, even immaturity in our relationships and in life don't fit in the construct of God's kingdom. Our entire lives must be set on the things of God. We must have a heart after God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Perhaps you'll remember that. We're to be people of joy, joy that extends beyond our personal circumstances, joy that is fueled by, by, by the love that God has for us and that we, in turn, are supposed to have for others. We're to love and to care for others in the way that we would want to be loved and cared for. We're to find our peace in the fact that we are able to live here and now in the kingdom of God. And so when we read what Jesus says in our text today, like we just read it a moment ago, it makes a little more sense as we reflect on the past few months because he says three very important things that we're going to look at together. Here's the first one. He says only one path leads to life. Only one. The first warning points to the fact that everything that Jesus has talked about in his manifesto, his Sermon on the Mount, is really challenging. It's hard. It's difficult to be a person of joy when it just feels like the joy is being sucked right out of you, right? It's hard to be faithfully, uh, to, to, to faithfully and obediently have a heart that seeks after the heart of God when everything around you is a distraction and there are temptations and there's this luring from the world that's just, it's just relentless. It, it's hard to choose to not be angry, to make the conscious decision that I, I am not going to gossip, to guard our sexuality in a way that the world has said is, 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 uh, is old-fashioned, is, is uninformed, and even closed-minded. These things are hard. That way of life, Jesus says, is only found on a narrow path. A path that is harder 
to follow, and in fact, it's harder to find. But it is the only path, Jesus says, that leads to life. The other path, much easier to find. Much more appealing to our flesh to walk that path, to travel that road. Many of our friends, more of our friends perhaps, and our family, they will travel that path because it makes us feel good. And it feeds our selfishness, it feeds our pride, it it satisfies our flesh, and so walking that path, eh, it just feels right. But that path, and Jesus is very clear on this, leads to destruction. Destruction in the That Greek word there, it's translated as waste. The wide path, the the, the easier to follow path, Jesus says, leads to waste. Jesus is not just saying that when you choose the wrong path, you're going to be destroyed. He's saying but that when you choose the wrong path, you are wasting what God has given you. A waste of your life. A waste of your time, a waste of your, of your talent, of your abilities, of your gifts. And Paul talks about this same kind of destruction. He wrote a, church, a letter to the church in Philippi, and he was talking about those who, who, who have made the cross of Christ their enemy. They have just simply rejected it. And this is what he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their destiny is waste. Their God is their stomach. In other words, they are driven by the desires of their flesh. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Those who choose the wide path, the path that leads away from the things that Jesus has taught and away from the commands of God, they are following their own desires, their own wills. There's only one path to life, and that path is found through Jesus Christ, who became, who came to us to be our restorer, to be our redeemer. He came to, to give us salvation in his name in order that we, that we might be able to not just aspire to the things he's taught us. Wouldn't it be nice if I could do those things? Those are, those are great ideas, Jesus. No, he came so that we might actually be able to live those things out that we might actually be able to be that person. He came, he served, and he, he modeled for us what it looks like to love God with all of our being, all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and he showed us what it looks like to be tempted by the powers of, powers of this world. He too was tempted, but he rejected them and was faithful to his Father. And he gave us a powerful gift, the Holy Spirit, to guide, to comfort, to counsel. Jesus says, choose the narrow path. Only a few will find it. We live in a world today where more and more and more we're trying to widen that path, but Jesus was very clear. He said, I am the way. Not I am one of the ways. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Second thing that Jesus warns us about is false prophets. And in this portion of Jesus' warnings, he gives us a very important tool to use, and it's this. Look 
for the fruit. Look for the evidences of a heart that is fast after God, not just actions and deeds that create the appearance of a heart after God. The hardest part about this particular warning from Jesus is that those who we're supposed to be on the lookout for are deceitful. They're often disguised. They look right, they talk right, they do all the right things, but behind the curtain, behind the mask, behind the facade that is their life, Jesus says very specifically, they are ferocious wolves. They just dress like a sheep. The imagery that Jesus gives here is, is, is really pretty cool, and I'm sure that was his motivation. But um, it's very cool because it really helps us to see a better picture of what he's warning us about. If you've ever seen a, 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 a flock of sheep in movement, you'll know that when they are traveling, when they are moving, they are close together, shoulder to shoulder, moving together in a pack. It's almost like a cooperative effort, and they're, they're packed together, and they're moving in the direction that the shepherd is leading them. But the wolf is smart. You see, wolves are opportunists. They will test their prey. They will look for and sense any weaknesses or any vulnerabilities by watching the visual cues, by listening, by smelling. Wolves have a high level of endurance as a predator. They will chase their prey perhaps for days over long distances just in order to find the right animal and the right opportunity. A wolf pack may, tra may trail after a flock of sheep for days before it makes its actual move, and during that time, they're assessing everything. They're looking for an animal that displays some sign of weakness. The wolf is not afraid of the long game because he knows what the payoff can be. He's cunning. And when the time is right, the damage will be done. And it's often really hard to pick a wolf out of the flock when the wolf looks like a sheep. So Jesus says, look for the fruit. Look for the evidences of a heart after God. Not, not just doing the right things. Don't, don't just look for someone in the herd who's, who's appearing to move in the right direction, who's doing and saying all the right things. Look to the heart of that person. Watch their lives. Watch their actions and their deeds. What they do when they think no one else is watching or listening. Look for the fruit. And the warning is important for us today because there are false prophets. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of them have big platforms. They have large audiences. Their voices are heard far and wide, and many times the things they are saying are incredibly dangerous and they're divisive. But even more important for us to understand is that not all wolves in sheep's clothing have big platforms. Not all wolves in sheep's clothing are people that we would identify as prophets in our culture today. Because sometimes we can become wolves in sheep's clothing. And we may not even realize it. Remember what the wolves do. They create division. They sow discord. Their words separate the sheep. Instead of a large flock moving 
forward in a common direction with a unified goal and a purpose. They are divided over here, and they're divided over here. And when, and when we are separated from the flock, when our strength has been diminished by our division, we lose the ability, the God-given ability to ward off these attacks, to defend ourselves. We become vulnerable, and the wolf can make his move. So the tool that Jesus gives us is important. He says, look for the fruit. The spiritual fruit that is produced by a heart that is chasing after God is readily identifiable. And we've all probably heard it before. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A good tree, Jesus says, produces good fruit. The warning for us here really is twofold. Watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing, but also guard your heart. Chase after God so that you, so that I, do not become a wolf in sheep's clothing. Here's the third thing that Jesus warns us about. Your doing good must be rooted in your knowing. Your doing good must be rooted in your knowing. In this next warning, he, he paints a picture of those who stand in judgment before God and they will feel in their hearts that they have done all of the right things. They will feel that because of what they have done, because of who they have been, that they should be afforded entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus uses this phrase in verse 22, this word he says, on that day, many will say to me, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of the right things? That day is talking about the day of Jesus' return. On that day, Jesus says they will stand in judgment before God and they will say, but, but we did all this stuff in your name. We healed, we performed miracles, we drove out demons. Isn't that what you wanted? And Jesus' response is very simple. I never knew you. And the key word for us here is new. It's a Greek word, ginosko, and it's simply talking about relationship. It's about an experience. When Jesus says, I never knew you, he's saying, we never had a relationship. It's akin to the, the husband and wife who get married and they have kids and raise kids for 20 years and when the kids are gone, they have nothing there because their whole life was focused on doing all the things they thought they were supposed to do, but there was never a relationship between the two of them. Now it's true that that, that these things that they claim to do in verse 22, these are things that Jesus himself commissioned his disciples to do. He told them to go and do these things. But in this statement from Jesus saying, I never knew you, we see a rejection of a fraud. He is rejecting a fraudulent life 
It's a fraud because while they did the things that Jesus commanded them to do, they were never obedient to the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is not that our lives would simply produce all of these charismatic things, that our lives would produce all these crowd-pleasing spiritual feats, but that our lives would produce a fruit that is identifiable, that our lives, that our hearts would be fully submitted to the will of God. But Lord, I I did all these things I was supposed to do. I was a good person. You know how many good people I have buried? I was a good person. I went to church. I paid my tithe. I, I gave money to the poor. I went on a missions trip to Africa. I read my Bible every day. I prayed, what else did you want me to do? I wanted to know you. I wanted you to know me. Get away from me. I never knew you. You never understood. You never stepped into obedience of my will. My good friend and fellow pastor, Rick, used to ask me on a pretty regular basis, he would say, what do you know for sure? He hasn't asked me in a while. More more often than not, I would come up with some smart aleck remark. He'd just shake his head. But it's a good question. What do you know for sure? You see, after we pour over all that Jesus has said in these few chapters from Matthew's Gospel, and we really begin to think about what Jesus is saying and what God requires of us as his children, we might ask ourselves, what do I know for sure? Am I I walking the narrow path? Or am I walking the wide path, the path of, of waste, the path of destruction? Am I alert to the voice of false prophets? Are my eyes open to the wolves in sheep's clothing? Am I a wolf in sheep's clothing? Am I living in an active pursuit of God? Is my relationship with God alive and is it vibrant? Am I growing or am I just doing good things and trying to keep my nose clean? See, Jesus' manifesto was not given to a select few for a select few. It was not a picture of elite Christianity. It is a picture of his kingdom. This was the picture of the kingdom of God. And Jesus invites all of us to live in it and participate in it. But when we accept that invitation, when we step into that kingdom life, we take on all the responsibilities of kingdom citizenship. And here's the truth. Following Jesus is not easy. If anyone ever told you at some point in your life, maybe in some sort of a ploy to get you to make a decision for Jesus, it's easy. They lied to you. It is not easy. Choosing every day to chase after God requires commitment. But the benefits of knowing him There's no comparison. 
committing ourselves not just to the relationship with him, but to the body of Christ, the church, is a challenge. Do you know why? Because there are people in it. And people are difficult. Huh? I know, not you. The other people. But when we choose to love and lay down our lives for our fellow man, we experience the daily blessings of that community. So many people need to understand what real family feels like. Did you know that? They need to know what family feels like. They need to feel what fellowship, Pastor Blair's favorite word, fellowship feels like. To be loved, to be, to be cared for. All of that is found in the kingdom of God. It's found in everything that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So, so, so what Jesus says in his sermon is not just some pie-in-the-sky picture of what it, it might look like or, or, or it could look like, but it's what it's supposed to look like. The charge that Jesus gives in his manifesto is for all who claim his name. You see, for each one of us who carry the title Christian, our lives must look different. The path we travel will be narrow. Our lives must produce an identifiable fruit that can only be explained because we have surrendered our hearts to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. Our cry of Lord, Lord should be the cry of our hearts seeking and desiring and wanting more of him in our lives. I, th- I thought about the cry of a child for their mother or their father. There are two versions. The first one is, come and see what I have done. <laughs> daddy, daddy, come and see what I have done. The second one is, daddy, daddy, come and see what I've gotten myself into. One's rooted in pride. The other is rooted in humility and desperation. What are you desperate for? So I want you to ask yourself this morning, what do I know for sure? For sure? Some of you here or watching online this morning, you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know. And to that I say, praise God. What a testimony. I really hope that other people are hearing and seeing that testimony from your life every single day because if you know that you know that you know, they should. They should hear and see from you the confidence that you have, not in yourself. Daddy, daddy, look what I have done. but a confidence in the power of God that has worked through you and is working through you. But perhaps some of you can't give that response. Perhaps your response is more like, I want to know that I know that I know. Let me first say to you, don't be ashamed that you feel that way. You see, if there's even an inkling in your spirit, if there's just 
a trace in your spirit that says you want to know that means there's hope. If any part of you right now in this place this morning is saying, I want to know for sure, there is hope. Let me tell you what Jesus says about knowing for sure. He says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The, word, the world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him, it doesn't know him, but you know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you, you will see me. Because I live, you will live. On that day that you will realize that, that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. What do you know for sure? Do you want to know for sure? Love him. Keep his commands. Receive and live in harmony with the Holy Spirit. And accept your adoption into the family of God. In 1887, a man by the name of Daniel Towner, he was a musician, he was assisting Dwight Moody in his revival services and he was, had been singing at one of the services and there was a young man that stood up in the congregation to give his testimony. And in his testimony, this is what he said. He goes, I'm not quite sure, but I am going to trust and I am going to obey. And that simple statement from that young man, it ended up being the foundation for a poem that Daniel wrote later that night. And the lyric goes like this. It says, when we walk with the Lord, in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sign or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he does richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side 
in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Beloved, we, we are called into a relationship with the King of Kings. We, like this young man from the story, may have many questions. There may be spaces in our story that are not quite filled yet, but God is calling us to trust and obey him. The road is narrow, and the expectations are high. But he promises to be with us every step of the way. He promises to reveal himself to us. He gives us mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And he promises us his Holy Spirit to be our comforter and to be our guide. But it all begins, as the lyric says, by laying it all on the altar. The altar of confession, the altar of repentance. It begins with the admission, I need Jesus. Three very important warnings for us as we respond to everything that Jesus has taught us, everything that Jesus has expected out of us as we are citizens of his kingdom. My prayer for you this week is that um, even if you're listening to this in your car, listening to it at work, listening to it while you do laundry or dishes, that God's speaking to your heart and speaking to your spirit and that you will respond in obedience to him. Next week, we will finish up our manifesto teaching series as we look at one final warning, one final teaching from Jesus. I also want to remind you that our Lent season is just around the corner. We'll begin with an Ash Wednesday service uh, here in just a couple weeks, and then we'll move into our season of Lent. If you have not done so already, I really want to encourage you to pick up one of our Lent devotionals. They're available every Sunday morning at our Welcome Center or down at our offices, Monday through Friday, 8 to 3. They're just $5, and they are an excellent tool uh, to guide your daily devotional life through the season of Lent. I really want to encourage you to get one of those for this year. Stay connected, stay tuned. Hopefully we'll see you here in person this coming weekend. We are praying for you, praying for your health, praying for your life and for your family. God bless you.